Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here this morning. And uh, we're continuing in our series on Jonah, and we're using some new technology. So this looks formatted a little bit weird, but it's good for the people on internet this way. So for those of you that are online, you have me here, and you should just over here have some slides and things going on formatted correctly for your television. Um, last week, and it's, we have lots of new toys here. I even get to, I even get to control it up here. See that? Uh, <laughs> I have the power. Um, Last week it was, uh, we began our series on Jonah and uh, sort of the overall theme of Jonah being uh, one of spiritual decline in Jonah's life. But last week we looked at Jonah on the rise or Jonah up and we just remembered the fact that Jonah was a prophet and he had the spirit of God in ways that people in the old covenant didn't have. He was carried along by the spirit as he wrote scripture. Uh, God spoke to him by his spirit to let him know his intentions for Israel and for the world. And he had that blessing. He had the school of the prophets, which were, you know, in a way sort of like a new covenant blessing of the church kind of early because he had all of that spiritual revival and partnership with Elijah and Elisha and Amos and others. And uh, so Jonah was on top of the world spiritually and then the book of Jonah is written and Jonah shares his story of his spiritual decline for us to learn from. And so we're continuing in that theme now, finally getting into Jonah chapter 1, which we barely touched on last week. And he writes this kind of book for us, and he tells us his story in this way because Jonah wants us to learn from his experience. And the scripture is a special kind of mirror, James tells us, and we should look at scripture, and we should see in scripture what we need to see and not leave the mirror of scripture unchanged. When I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror I would love it if I had a mirror like scripture that could transform me because I look in the mirror and I don't want to be that person that I see in the mirror. And it would be awesome if I could walk away from that mirror transformed. Well, James says that's what scripture can do. We can look at ourselves in the mirror of scripture and it starts with not really liking what we see in that picture. But that mirror of scripture has the power to transform us. It allows us to compare correctly. And the way that Jonah does it and the way that Scripture does it is that it gives us a contrast. It gives us a comparison of what we do look like to how we should look. And what we should see in Scripture, is, especially in Jonah here, is a series of contrast. The contrast to show us where our image doesn't fit. And so as we consider Jonah in spiritual decline... What it is we're looking for as we read through this book and what we can learn from the mirror of Jonah's life is to be attentive to the contrasts that Jonah describes for us in the text. Through the contrasts, Jonah, by the Holy Spirit, wants to teach us the signs and the symptoms of spiritual decline, the consequences, and where our hope lies if we see too much of ourselves in the reflection of him. So as I read all of chapter 1, it's just 17 chapters, but I'm going to read all of chapter 1, and I will try to emphasize some of the areas where, as we're reading, we might find the contrasts that Jonah wants us to see. And then we'll unpack them over the course of the message. And to, and to help you out, I will say that I've grouped them into two main categories in Jonah chapter 1. 
you're going to see contrast between Jonah and God, and you're going to see contrast between Jonah and the Gentiles, or the pagans. And so Jonah is contrasting himself to God and to Gentiles. Well, let's pray as we open up God's Word. Father God, this is your Word. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a mirror, as James says. It never returns to you void, but accomplishes its purposes. And so, Father, we just pray that as we read Jonah now, we read your word, the words of your prophet, that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts, open our eyes, uh, give us keen minds, the ability to distinguish the common from the holy. And, Father, that we would uh, not depart from this unchanged. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from, and what is your country, and what what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us the innocent blood, for you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here are the main contrasts. And I think we're meant to see in the text. And we'll unpack the main contrasts as we go along. So it's a very straightforward structure this morning. We contrast God and Jonah And the first contrast is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jonah fled the presence of the Lord. The second contrast will be that God asked Jonah to arise and go east, but Jonah went down to flee west. 
The third one is that God shouts at Jonah with a loud storm, but Jonah sleeps in a deep slumber. And then there are three contrasts with the Gentiles and Jonah. First of all, the Gentiles call out to their gods, but Jonah refuses to pray. The Gentiles try to save Jonah at their own risk, whereas Jonah's actions actually endanger the Gentiles and put them at peril. Thirdly, the Gentiles fear God exceedingly and make vows. Jonah claims to fear God, but he is actually breaking his vows and his obedience. And so we have these contrasts that Jonah tells us throughout this opening chapter between God and Jonah and between the Gentiles. And these contrasts show us the symptoms of spiritual decline and the consequences of spiritual decline. That's what we're to learn from the mirror of Scripture today. So first, let's, let's look at these, contrasting God and Jonah. First, the word of God came to Jonah, but he turned away from it. He fled the presence of the Lord. Remember in Jonah 1.1, it said, begins as many, uh, um, many accounts in the Old Testament do. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... So the word of the Lord came to, it's a, it's a phrase that, oh, let me get this going in the right direction. This may be a bad idea, this whole thing. Am I going the wrong way? Don't give up yet. Just get it right. Okay, so I'm going the wrong way. See, I started swiping the wrong way. Don't do that. Don't swipe left. Or right, whichever one it is. I don't know. I don't use it. I just hear these phrases out there, whatever the kids are saying these days. So Jonah 1.1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... So that word of the Lord came to Jonah is a phrase used a hundred or more times in the Old Testament. And And when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, it doesn't simply mean that Jonah was reading God's word. It wasn't that Jonah was reading Genesis or that he was reading Job or the Psalms or the Proverbs or any of the scriptures or scrolls that he had available at the time. The word of God came to Jonah in a personal way, with a personal conviction and a personal clarity. Jonah felt the word of God imparting the will of God on him. He felt himself under the pressure of God's word to obey. That's clearly what this means. And and if you brother or sister disciple, have any spiritual experience at all, you know what this means. We have this experience of God's word coming to us, of God's word breaking into our lives and pursuing us and hopefully subduing us. And and we know when we read our Bible, the word of God comes to us, scripture comes to us very personal at critical points in our lives. And sometimes in reading, sometimes through a faithful Christian friend, sometimes the Word of God comes to us, and we know the Word of God is coming to us, but we wonder what we're doing with it. When the Word of God came to Jonah in this personal way, the mark of it was simplicity and clarity. He says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah doesn't have to ponder very hard about what it is that God wants him to do. And when the Word of God comes to us at points in our life, it's usually with this kind of clarity. There are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. The Apostle Peter, even in writing his letter, says, you know, my brother Paul writes some things that are hard to understand, talking about Paul the Apostle, which is like the understatement of the Bible. But um, he does write some things that are difficult. 
But when the Word of God is speaking to us personally, it is rarely unclear. When I counsel fellow believers and they say, you know, I don't know what God wants me to do, I usually don't have to press very hard to get to the point of, do you really not know what God wants to do or do you just not want to do it? And it's the second that is almost always the answer. No, I know what God wants me to do. I just don't want to do it. The word is clear. Honor your father and your mother, but they don't give me what I want. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. But that means I don't get the satisfaction of, you know, them being under the guilt of my unforgiveness. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, but I want a new wife. Some of the commands are easy. Some of them are hard. But rarely does God leave a mystery in our life about what he wants. And the word of God comes to Jonah very clearly. What did God mean to do in Jonah's case? God meant to say to Jonah, the only way forward is if you are prepared to die to your desire and live trusting in me. In other words, Jonah, will God's word supersede or be held more highly than your personal preferences regarding Nineveh? He may ask us, Christians, will you die to serving yourself in order to live to serve the Lord? Instead, though, Jonah literally prefers to die. He is so determined to uphold his personal preferences, he would rather die than do what the word of the Lord says him to do. Throw me into the sea, he says in chapter 1. And he's not expecting a big fish to swallow him. He's literally expecting to die. And it's preferable to him than obeying God. And in the end of chapter 4, even after he's obeyed God and he's seen the outcome, he will ask God just to let him die rather than live in the outcome of obedience. So when we hold off the word of God at arm's length and when it comes to us clearly and we say, no, I will obey your word until it infringes on my sovereignty and desires. I will obey when your word aligns with what I think and what I like. But if your word impinges on me and makes me act against my preferences and my values, then like Jonah, I will set aside your word and I will go the other direction. I'll do the opposite even if it kills me. So the first symptom that we get from this of spiritual decline is rejecting the word of God. And then secondly, Jonah turns away from the presence of God. God says, arise and go to Nineveh, which is east. And Jonah goes down and goes west. Verse 3 twice, and in verse 10 as well, we are told Jonah is fleeing the presence of the Lord. And the narrative here is very cleverly written to take us with Jonah through his spiritual decline. It says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, but he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into the ship to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. But he hurled a great wind upon the sea, and the mariners were afraid, and they hurled the cargo over, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and lain down, and had gone down into a fast asleep, sort of unconscious state. And so Jonah goes down to Joppa, he goes down into the boat at the dock, then he goes down into the inner part of the ship, and then he goes down into a deep sleep, and eventually Jonah will go down to the bottom of the sea, and he will go down to the bottom of the stomach of a big fish. So the narrative of Jonah is down, 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 down. When God's first word was, arise, and go east, Jonah goes down and west. 
And we talked more about this at length last week, so I won't belabor it here. But brother and sister disciple, again, when you turn away from the word of God, you are rejecting the presence of God. You are trying to get away from his presence. When you look in the mirror and ignore it or refuse to look in the mirror of scripture at all, you're on a path of spiritual decline. You must not flee the presence of God, but instead lean into the presence of God that's found in his word, but it's also found in prayer, which we're going to look at next week. And it's also found among his people in the church, as we talked about. You need to be in God's presence by every ordinary means of grace that he has given us and equipped us with when you are in spiritual decline, when you sense yourself resisting the word of God, when you sense yourself resisting conformity to the way God would have you act and be, you do not need to absent yourself from the presence of God. You need to be in the presence of God. And so the second symptom is fleeing the presence of God by every means of grace offered. You don't go to church. You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't listen to Christian friends. You just get out of the presence of God any way you can. And then there's a third contrast between Jonah and God. God shouts at Jonah with a loud storm while Jonah sleeps in a deep slumber. As he tells us this story here, Jonah contrasts his own deep sleep with the storm of God's pursuit. He says the storm rages. It grows more and more tempestuous. God is pursuing and pursuing and pursuing, and he's raising the volume of his voice louder and louder and louder, and Jonah sleeps. Jonah may be trying to run from God, but God is not letting Jonah out of his reach. Speaking to Jonah with a word didn't work, so now God shouts with a storm. And it's interesting here that even the pagan sailors know that this is not a natural storm. The pagan sailors, the Gentiles, know that somebody's God has sent this. We've been at the sea a long time, and this is not a normal storm. And yet Jonah sleeps as God shouts. Like Jonah, brother and sister, if we disobey enough and we close our ears too too frequently to the word of God, if we fancy ourselves outside of the reach and the presence and influence of God, then we can find ourselves at times and seasons in our life, especially as spiritual decline has gone on for a few weeks, a few months, maybe even a few years, we can find ourselves like Jonah, able to ignore God, even when he is making his presence obvious in our life. Jonah was so content in choosing his own path in life that he is actually in a deep slumber during this storm. And the Gentiles call him out on it. There's a very telling phrase here the captain of the ship uses. He says, what do you mean, O sleeper, or you sleeper? In other words, Jonah, what are you doing, sleepy person? What are you doing? He calls him out. He says, wake up. And that phrase or that theme of a fool slumbering in the presence of God's wrath or sleeping away an opportunity of salvation is repeated several times in Scripture. Isaiah 51, 17 says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Wake up, stand up. Romans 13, Paul says it this way, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Wake up, Jonah. Salvation is near if you would just wake up. 
1 Corinthians 15, he says it again. He says to the church, Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. 1 Thessalonians 5, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. You see, through Scripture, sleep is used as a metaphor for blindness to the conscience of God or the Word of God. It's used as a metaphor for a distorted conscience. We get ourselves apart from God, we get ourselves out from under His Word, and our spiritual conscience gets numbed to the point that it's kind of almost, and Paul makes the analogy that it's like being drunk. It's like you're numbed by alcohol And it doesn't alert us to how far away we are from where God would have us. So here we have Jonah, who is sleeping when he should be awake and in the presence of his God as the Gentiles are. So three ways, so three ways we see boy, I did something wrong there, but that's okay. Three ways, I'm already where I thought I was already before, but that's okay. Three ways we see the contrast of God to Jonah that are lessons on the symptoms of spiritual decline. Warnings we should look for in our own spiritual life. God comes to Jonah by his word, but Jonah flees his presence. God calls for Jonah to arise and follow, and Jonah goes down and disobeys. And God shouts to Jonah in a storm, and Jonah slumbers away his chance at salvation. But we also have three contrasts to the Gentiles. And in the contrast, we see not the symptoms of spiritual decline. Those are the symptoms we can look for in our life. But in contrasting with the Gentiles, we see the consequences of spiritual decline. What is the outcome in Jonah's life and in his behaviors because of his spiritual decline? Well, the first one is the Gentiles are calling out to their God, but Jonah refuses to pray. The consequence is is that in time, our behavior contradicts our knowledge and our belief. So the pagan sailors are sensing the significance of the storm. And in sensing that significance, they immediately begin to pray to their gods, it says in verse 5. And then they ask Jonah to pray to his god in verse 6. He says, arise and call out to your god. But you'll notice that Jonah never does that. Jonah doesn't pray to God, even though these sailors are saying, hey, we're all praying. Could you pray? You know, maybe it's your god that is causing this storm. He doesn't want to pray. He's fleeing the presence of God. And the last thing he wants to do is do something that will bring him straight into God's presence. And so then the sailors cast lots in verse 7. They seemingly by instinct know that God is sovereign even over lots cast. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so the sailors know the storm is from God. They are praying to all of their gods to try to find out what is going on. They even cast lots to say some sovereign God is going to tell us who can tell us what is going on. Jonah confesses his knowledge of all of this, but his behavior is the opposite of what he knows. Jonah verse, in verse 9, Jonah says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, is that not an ironic statement coming from Jonah, who's in the middle of a storm on the sea? Yeah, I fear the God who's in control of all of this. I can almost guarantee that Jonah knows Psalm 139, 7 to 10 by heart. 
Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jonah knows this. Jonah knows this about God. He admits that this is the God that he allegedly fears. And yet, knowing this, believing this, Jonah is trying to run and hide from God by land and sea. He professes to fear God while at the same time tries to hide from God. In other words, this first consequence is that as we are in spiritual decline and we distance ourselves from God, all of a sudden our actions begin to contradict our beliefs and our knowledge. It's not hard to find Christians in spiritual decline because they are not acting the way you know they know and believe. How Jonah or any Christian in spiritual decline is living ends up being intellectually dishonest and what therapists today would call cognitively dissonant from what they believe. Cognitive dissonance occurs when we know what is true is at odds with what we want to be true. And if you look up the consequences of living in cognitive dissonance long enough, you'll find that it's stressful, guilt-inducing, it causes regret, remorse, anger, and shame. That sounds like textbook Jonah. Because he knows what he believes, he knows what is true, but he wants to live in a way that is dissonant to what he knows to be true. And the consequences is that he will not be healthy again until he brings his life in order with God's truth. No Christian will feel healthy until they bring their life in order with God's truth. There is no joy to live dissonantly from God. Secondly, the second contrast is that the Gentiles try to save Jonah, but he puts them in danger. The second consequence of spiritual decline is that our behavior becomes worse than an unbeliever. Instead of being above reproach, our behavior becomes reproachful, even to those who are not believers. We end up being less ethical, less moral than they are. Even though Jonah is a prophet of God, in his state of spiritual decline, the pagan sailors demonstrate more wisdom, more courage, more compassion, more selflessness than Jonah does. Jonah is willing for the crew and the passengers of the boat to be put into peril for his own purposes, and they're willing to throw over their cargo, and even after finding that Jonah is the cause for the problem, continue to row harder for shore. These pagan sailors are desperate to save Jonah's life. Jonah's selfishness puts them all at risk, but they're willing to take great risk for Jonah. And it's embarrassing at this point in spiritual decline in the Christian life when Christians act less bravely, with less compassion, less concern than non-Christians do. When Christians like Jonah just want what they want for themselves and they don't really care what the consequences to others are. They don't really care how it affects their family, their church, their friends, or what they're putting people through. In this way, God made Jonah an example of the very thing that Jonah hated in Nineveh. Jonah knew that God would be merciful and that Nineveh very well might repent, and Jonah knew that it would bring shame on Israel if evil Nineveh was more repentant than Israel itself. Part of why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and we learn this in the last chapter very clearly, is he knew that God was merciful. He he wasn't afraid for his life. He wasn't afraid of Nineveh. He wasn't afraid of the Ninevites. He wasn't afraid of anything other than the fact that God was probably going to be compassionate on Nineveh 
and allow them to repent and forgive them. And that would be shameful to Israel, who was at that very time running into idol worship and paganism as fast as they could run. And Jonah didn't want that. And it's interesting in this contrast that Jonah actually becomes the very thing that he hates. He begins acting worse than an unbeliever. A prophet of God refusing to repent while pagan sailors act more righteously than he's willing to. A Christian in spiritual decline who's holding off the word of God can find themselves acting worse than their unbelieving friends in very clear, moral, ethical ways. And all the more so because we claim to know and behave differently. You want to know why people say Christians are hypocrites? It's because they know that we claim to know better. And yet often when we are in spiritual decline, we behave worse than we know. And then thirdly, there's a third contrast finally with the Gentiles. The Gentiles fear God exceedingly and make vows, but Jonah claims to, but breaks his vows. It's interesting to note in verse 8 that the sailors asked Jonah a bunch of questions about who you are and what people you're of and where do you come from and what is your occupation. And Jonah answers some of these questions, says he's a Hebrew, obviously from Israel. He supposedly fears God, he says, or at least he claims to. But notice, Jonah never tells them his occupation. Jonah never answers the question. He doesn't say, I'm, well, you know, I'm, I'm a prophet, <coughs> prophet of God. That's what I am. Jonah doesn't tell them that it's literally his job to be the one who professes the word and the will of God to others. It's Jonah's job to evangelize the good news of God and God's actions in the world to be a herald of who God is and, and the blessing of turning to God. And he doesn't want to say that's what he does because he's ashamed of his testimony. It's interesting being a pastor. You hang out with people. Maybe you're on vacation or maybe you're just at a party or whatever and you're hanging out with people they don't really know who you are, what you do, and you hang out with them for a while and they finally get around to asking you what you do. And the reaction when I say I'm a pastor is always fun to observe, depending on how they've been acting and what they've been doing just prior to me telling them that I'm a pastor. But the same works in reverse, doesn't it? Whether it's me as a pastor or you as a Christian you work with and you live with and you interact with your peers on an ongoing basis and you behave a certain way with, you know, the people that you interact with in business, with our community, and eventually the topic of faith comes up. And now you are immediately thinking, what have I said and done in front of these people in the last few months? And do I tell them I'm a Christian? Or has my behavior because of my spiritual decline, because I've been apart from the word, because I've been apart from God's presence, because I've been apart from his grace, you know, because I've been behaving poorly in consequence of my spiritual decline, am I now embarrassed of my testimony of who I am? And that's what happened to Jonah here. He didn't want to say he was a prophet. He didn't want to say he was God's man. He didn't want to say he stood for that. He said, I feared God, but he didn't want to say what his occupation was. One of the things that happens eventually, a third consequence of our spiritual decline, is we become ashamed of our testimony and our witness. We can't share the gospel. We can't credibly present Jesus as Lord that should be followed when we're constantly proving by our own actions that we don't follow him. And I'm not saying by that that we need to be perfect in order to share the gospel. Far from it. 
But you live your life in a state of spiritual decline. It will become harder and harder and harder not to become ashamed of your faith and to share your testimony. After a while, it feels hollow and powerless to transform any life when we're not allowing that same gospel to transform ours. And so Jonah here for us in chapter 1 has laid his experience of spiritual decline open to us. He holds up the mirror in two broad contrasts. Jonah teaches us six lessons. The three symptoms of spiritual decline are rejecting the word of God, fleeing the presence of God, and slumbering or unconsciousness, a seared conscience, a, a numb conscience to the things of God. And then there's three consequences of that spiritual decline. Our behavior contradicts our knowledge. We behave worse than pagans, and we become ashamed of our testimony. We lose our ability to share the gospel credibly. So we have to ask now, if we've held ourselves up to the mirror of Jonah chapter 1, is there hope for us if we see ourselves in this mirror of Jonah? What, what if it's us who are fleeing the presence of God, who are not letting the word of God come to us, who are... Behaving, if we're honest, quite poorly. Worse, maybe, than those who should know better would behave. Well, the message of hope is actually sprinkled all through this chapter in the book of Jonah. It's the hope of God who acts. We see, first of all, that it was God whose word first came to Jonah in verse 1. God is the initiator. God is the one who takes action towards us. God comes down to us. We don't need to get ourselves up to him. Jesus left heaven in order to draw near to us and make obedience possible. So the first point of hope is that it is God who acts first and comes to us. Secondly, we see here that it was God who sent out a great wind on the sea, it says in verse 4. It's God who pursues us even as we run from him. Jesus is the shepherd who leads the 99 to seek the one. So even though Jonah wants to be apart from God's presence, God pursues him. Thirdly, we see it's God who prepared a great fish to save Jonah in verse 17. God pursues us even when we run from us, but God protects us and preserves us even when we would harm ourselves. Even what feels like our lowest point, as down as we can be, is the very point at which God is rescuing us. You think of the prodigal son, lowest point of his life. All of his friends have abandoned him. The money has ran out. He wanted to do things his way. didn't matter what the father said. He was going to live his life his way. All that decline, 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 decline. He's eventually a Hebrew, a Jew, who's eating pig's food in a trough. And it says there that he came to his senses. He woke up. It's the same phrasing. He woke up. He came to his senses. He came to his realization that things are way better being a servant of my father <laughs> than being on my own out here with the pigs. God is preserving us even at our lowest point. As low as Jonah goes, God has a plan to preserve him even at the bottom of the sea after he tries to commit suicide. Fourthly, we see it as God who will bring Jonah back up out of the sea in chapter 2. This whole 
book is a book of God relentlessly providing opportunities of redemption for Jonah. What, however low we go, it's God who will bring us back up. And then finally we see in chapter 3, verse 1, that the word of God came to Jonah a second time. Hashtag God of second chances. He's not done with you. He will not leave you. He will not reject one who calls on his name. And so we can look at Jonah as a story of spiritual decline, and that's what Jonah wants us to see. He says, here's my life. Here's what's going on. Here's what I did. Hold yourself up to the mirror. Don't do what I did. Learn the symptoms of spiritual decline. Learn the consequences of spiritual decline. But sprinkled all through here in the book of Jonah is hope, 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 hope. Our hope if we find ourselves in this season in our life of living in ways we do not believe to be right. Our hope is a God who pursues pursues us when we run, who holds us and will not let us go. Not by past mercy or grace, but by his fresh mercies each day going forward. Just like the disciple Peter, who was a Jonah in his own right, who turned from Jesus... Rejected knowing Jesus, was ashamed of his testimony before the people at the house of Caiaphas, who ran from the presence of Jesus. Just like Peter, just like Jonah, we have a Savior who says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Luke chapter 22. So yeah, there's lots we can learn about spiritual decline, but the story of of Jonah is that we have a God of second chances, and he will pursue us, and he will rescue us, and he will redeem even our sin for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, as we talked last week, spiritual decline is a subject that we are all too familiar with and don't talk about a whole lot. We ride high like Jonah did for seasons of our life, and then we drift and drift and drift. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Jonah to be able to take a hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves, do any of these things apply to us? (laughs) Is your word coming to us and we're fleeing your presence? Are we in a slumber? Are our conscience numb to the things that we should be sensitive to? Are we, as we look around behaving pretty poorly? Are we ashamed of our testimony because of where our spiritual decline has led us? Lord, all of these things can be true of any of us as believers at various points in our lives. But our hope is in you, the God of second chances. The word of the Lord will come to us again. Your presence will pursue us, and you will preserve us no matter how far we flee. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its instruction to our heart. In Christ's name. Amen.